Here we go. Here we go. Uh, let's pray. Let's go. There's so much to do. And since we have a big new clock, we want to get better about ending on time, which should be 40. But then there's always extra room for sinners. So here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Good to see you back. Um, I'm listening to the Bears game. So just leave me alone, okay? If I get slightly distracted, the pregame started at 9, so I want to be ready because I know it's a Super Bowl year, right? Right. Faith. Okay, a couple of things. Um, first, you know, I've been avoiding this as best I could, but to talk about masks. Um, as somebody said to me, you know, you wrote such a long letter and you kept us all informed and you told us what was going on and it all worked out. Why didn't you write us a long letter again? You know what the answer is? Because you would write back. Uh, the problem is, even now, I spend probably two hours a day on COVID-related matters. I have for 20 months. Sometimes it's been all day, every day. Other pastors are the same. So pastors are like currency. You spend us just like money. So you're spending, you know, 20 to 25 percent of my of me every week on COVID matters, which is sort of needless, although I realize everybody is crazy. But honestly, the reason I didn't write you is because you would write me back. And by now, everybody's positions are fixed. Uh, it doesn't matter if I point out any statistic or any study or anything. Um, people are fixed. Data doesn't matter. Everybody has data, you know. But, um, of course, we've forgotten that thinking means not just having data, but the value or the weight of the data. So the reason I didn't write you is because you would write me back. Now, some of you have ignored that and written me back anyway, which is fine because I love you and I'm your pastor. But uh, the reason I didn't do it is because I didn't want to poke it. The second is, um, as somebody said to me, um, uh, you know, why didn't we just obey the law or why don't you obey the law? The answer is we never just obey the law. We never do that. It's unchristian just to obey the law. So, for example, in the persecutions in the early church, when they said, turn over all your scriptures so we can burn them and Christianity will disappear, they disobeyed the law. And that's why you still have a Bible. I could give you 50 more examples or 150 or 150,000. But we never just obey the law. Um, but for you who are Lutherans, large catechism, fourth commandment, you have four daddies. Your heavenly father, your biological father. Uh, the governing authorities, and your pastor. And together, the four of them have to work out what you're going to do. So we never just say, Governor Pritzker is my daddy. I'll do whatever he says. No, no, that's completely anti-Lutheran. So um, now you should also know that for you who have troubled consciences, late Friday afternoon, the website was amended and churches are no longer under the mask thing. So we're not... So, so it's so you're so young to be political. (laughs) Move to a red state. That's all I can say. So, uh, so, so we we uh, we're not breaking the law anymore. So now it's just good Christmas, Christian judgment. Now I will give you at least one hint or maybe two about living as a Christian. Um, We do not live in a riskless world. And many of the emails and calls I get are because people want to live in a riskless world. I'm going to tell you a quick story. 
our, our, our baby doctor, um, back when we were having kids, our baby Kirby was close to our baby doctor and she came in a little rattled to an appointment. Kirby said, what's up? And she said, I just met with a new couple. They're pregnant. And, you know, we went through all this stuff and then we said, okay. And then as soon as she said, I'll be your doctor, the father looked at her and waved his finger and said, if my child is not perfect, I'm suing you. Right. Okay. Now here's the thing. That's somebody who has mistaken this world for a riskless world. So from the beginning, we were trying to mitigate risk or minimize risk, right? We're trying to minimize risk or mitigate it. Again, I could give you um, loads of statistics, but they don't matter anymore because nobody pays attention to them. But you should go home and Google up the chance your child will die in a car accident and the chance your, die, your child will die from COVID. Just Google it up and compare them. Do with it what you want. Don't write me. Don't call me. Uh, but here's a, here's a little hint. If you drove here this morning, you have a contradiction in your life. But that's as far as I'm going. Okay. So, um, you know, pretty much everybody is settled in. People vast, so they don't vast. They wear masks, so they don't mask. They wear this kind of mask. They don't wear this kind of mask. They avoid crowds. Okay, here's the thing. One of the things that's been really interesting about St. John is people have done a great job of not being judgy. If you're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, I'm like, you're a thoughtful person and you got one fact in your life I don't know and I have no idea about your medical history and you can do what you want because you're a thoughtful person. And wouldn't it be great if we could live in a place where people are thoughtful? I know there are pushes and pulls. There's, I'm just going to tell you, there's not one thing that any of you have thought of that we have not thought of. If you think you have a hundred bucks, send it to me. And I'll give you a hundred bucks if you're right. But um, there's not one thing you have thought of that we have not thought of. I'm, that's real, not 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 your not your next door neighbor who's doing a science experiment in his job and got a, a C in fifth grade science. Not that, okay. But I think be respectful. And largely people have. And I um, that's been so. Thank you very much for that. And we've tried to provide for you. Our airflow changes every so many minutes. There's N95s up if you want them. There's hand sanitizer. Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Stand on your head. Juggle flaming torches. Whatever you want. Make yourself happy. But here's your greatest risk. That you don't come to the Eucharist. And you should remember that when people don't come to church and don't come to the Eucharist for a protracted period of time, that's a greater risk than anything else. So just kind of factor that in. For people who still say... I'm never going to church. You can come on Wednesday night when there's 60 people here and half the people are masked. You can come any morning when there's 30 people and they're scattered across the sanctuary. But we do not live in a riskless world. Be thoughtful. You can disagree. And that sort of brings me to this article, which I gave you about. Um, the trouble with this article is that it assigns all the Satanism to the progressive left. But I would suggest to you that the argument applies equally to the um, far right as well. So, you know, outside of that, but just tracing how Satanism is prideful idolatry and it's infected America. Will we get better? I have no idea. That's politicians have to worry about that. That's a different daddy. That's your daddy Pritzker has to worry about that. I have to worry about whether you come to the Eucharist. So you don't live in a riskless world. Take the right risks. And then finally, um, gosh, people swearing at me face to face. Unbelievable. You know, I'd never thought it would come to this. I'm, you know, 
back in the old things when we were masking up, we we're doing service. And people, people come to me, they look me right in the face and they say, Bruzek, you're a Democrat. Oh, I sussed you out. And then, now when we're not wearing masks, people say to me, uh, oh, you know, you know, when we're wearing it, Bruzek, you're a Republican. Here's the thing. You got no idea what I am, and you'll never find out without a very expensive dinner and a second bottle of Camus. <laughs> because I haven't made one conscious political statement in the 25 years I've been here. You have no idea what I'm thinking politically. Because that's not my job. My job isn't to tell you how to think. My job is to, for example, teach you what virtue is and then ask you if the people you're voting for are virtuous. And neither side has a lock on that. So, you know, um, you got to make your own decisions. And uh, you should know at the end of the day, my sole interest is your spiritual survival, your spiritual growth. Our biggest job, all the pastors are trying to do, we're trying to hold this place together in a time when people have a lot of different ideas and a lot of different structures and people are very fearful. Um, you know, I just talked to a doctor who said to me, we can't even refer people to psychiatrists anymore. There's nobody to refer to because everybody is off the charts. Okay. I get it. That's the world I live in. So partly, before you send click on your next email, I get about 20 to 30 emails a day about COVID from district, from Senate, from government, from conspiracy theorists, from people who tell me I'm a sinner for, from the left sinner, from the right, blah, blah. I agree. And I do try to read them and open them, although it is my own sort of way of doom scrolling. But, you know, I try to at least read the headline to see if there's anything I've missed. But honestly, um, this is satanic in the sense that it's consuming, at least. And that's true on for wherever you are. Think of all the time that's been spent on this that could have been spent even just in prayer or in feeding the poor or doing something good. So here's the thing. This is the world in which you live. Everybody's in a different place, medically, politically, um, mentally. I get it, right? Christ rises above all of that. The kingdom of God is not of this world. So, you know, it's not that I couldn't write you a letter, but if I wrote you a letter, I'd spend the next month answering letters and reply, telling me, you know, haven't you thought about this? Just by the by, this one other factor that goes into my own thinking. I had my annual physical last week. My doctor said, this is the highest vaccinated county in Illinois. And when I saw him, there were 16 people with COVID in CDH. That was the same time the mask mandate was coming down. So I have to say to myself, huh, on my two square blocks, there's not going on. Is it Southern Illinois? Sure. Idaho? Sure. But I don't live there. And I've got you. And I'm trying to figure it out. And i got to work with the data. And actually, here's a, I mean, here's a horrible thing about me. I actually do always try to find somebody smarter than me. My goal in life is to be the dumbest person in the room, which means by default, I actually believe experts about things. I've never been to Dr. Google in my life. And I went to a lawyer to get my will. I didn't write it online. You do what you want, but you know, you are a tough crowd. Okay, so, see, you see how nervous you are? Like, see, otherwise you'd be, you'd be a little looser, but see, you see like, uh, 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 Johan's the only one being honest. So, okay. 
So guess what? Unlike other times, no, I'm not taking any questions because otherwise we're going to waste the day and there's no point in it. You all have settled what you're doing. I just want you to settle on what I'm doing. And I'm here to be your pastor and nothing else. Okay? Wherever you are. So, you know, work hard. Try to figure it out. Do what you want. Uh, but, you know, it's like I often say to my wife and my kids and anybody else who will listen. You can do what I, you can do what you want. But that means I get to do what I want. Right? That's part of the gig. You don't get to do what you want. And then I have to do what you want, too. And that's a large problem in America right now is we're all telling each other what to do. Just kind of ease back. So far, we've been pretty good at it, but it's bubbling a little bit, especially with the mask thing. But now that the governor saw it our way, he's in the new members class too. Pritzker's in the catechumenate. So uh, he'll probably come around. It's all going to work out. You all okay? Yeah. You didn't believe how many times I had to rehearse that speech. Okay, here we go. So everything I'm going to say to you, see now I'm already 50 minutes in, which is dumb, D-U-M, because we're not going to be able to do all this, and I'm going to be behind. And look, uh, what I want to talk to you about is awkward love. Love is, uh, and maybe the foregoing is all helpful in that, it's very uncomfortable and often awkward to love the, the persons that you're given to love. Um, the sermon is partly about it, you know, the introductory quote I gave you, but especially Monday, Thursday, um, it's such an awkward, awkward kind of love. Let's see if we can, if we can do something with that. So we live in this world where everybody is sort of, um, in a tough spot and people disagree and we haven't always been as respectful as we could be of other people. And, um, in the end, you know, you live individually, but you also live communally. You know, the argument I gave you about Satanism, I'm not, I'm not giving you that because like I endorse everything the person said. But it is interesting just to draw the thing. The basic notion is, so I was reading a 17th century saint the other day, and this very interesting observation. He said, humility is the only virtue that Satan cannot imitate. Isn't that interesting? He can fake interest. He can fake love. He can fake power. He can fake almost anything. The single thing that Satan cannot fake is humility, because it's completely against his nature. Satan is utterly prideful, and it's the one thing he can't fake, which is why in an exorcism, for example, you, the exorcists actually insult Satan often, and you think, right? But the thing is, is it's a way of, if you're too scared or too careful, it's a way of showing him backhanded pride. It's a very interesting strategy. So, um, you know, we come to this place where what is satanic is prideful, and then pride always divides us. So, you know, we did this last week. The root word of devil means to separate things, to scatter things. And if you don't think America is scattered right now, you've got to watch more of the news. Uh, but don't ever watch the news. So, um, you know, Right. So we find ourselves in this very difficult place. And the reason is, and I'd written this before I found this article, you know, we've made an idol of ourselves. I'm God. Our world is God. My political party is God. My affinities are God, right? Um, okay. You know, how do you, how do you get past that? Um, you know, you become humble by practicing humility. And so this little bit about Jesus, you should remember, this is point two, that your king wears a crown. 
So last Tuesday was Holy Cross Day. Now the, the old story is, is that, um, you know, persecutions for 300 years, Constantine becomes a Christian. He sends his mother Helena to Jerusalem. She finds Golgotha buried in grave. She finds the three crosses. Which cross belongs to Jesus? There's a sick noble woman. They take the crosses in succession. They touch it to her. The first one, nothing. The second one, they touch her, nothing. The third one, they touch her. She's miraculously healed. And they say, oh, that's Jesus' cross. They take it home. And if you go to Rome, I think the title is in one corner at the Vatican. The nails are in another. But Crown of Thorns is in, in Paris. So uh, remember, saved uh, before Notre Dame burned down. Uh, the priest who rushed in and got him. Do you remember that story? So um, your king wears a crown. You should remember that. And, um, you know, St. Paul knew that. This is the bottom of the page. I don't boast in anything except the cross of Christ. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And so when you're feeling now as if you're an outsider or possibilities are limited uh, or you're damaged, um, just remember the Lord has his finger on that, okay? So the cross, an instrument of torture and death, Raised aloft as a sign of glory. Now you remember from the title, there's some words that I want to track for you. Glory is one of them. Um, holiness is one of them. Strangeness is one of them. Beauty is one of them. But here it is. The cross is a sign of glory that confounds the wisdom of the world. Humility is exaltation. Wounds are healing. Death is life. This is the servant for the morning. So try this. The money to buy souls is suffering accepted with love. So Jesus suffers for us and we love him. Boom, boom, right? Uh, Norman Nagel, it's not a good work until it's a forgiven work. So Jesus dies for it and forgives everything. He forgives more sins than we've got. The cross, uh, suppress the cross in your life and everything crumbles. So if you thought we were going to go through life and not suffer, poof. That's some other Jesus. The cross is a structure. As it bore the Savior, it bears salvation. And so it must bear us also and all our works. So the only good work is a crucified work. I just want you to don't move. Don't leave. That's an excommunicatable offense in this congregation. Johan, stick with me, buddy. Seriously, G, let him go, man, because we need choir members. It's all going to be fine, okay? It's going to be great. I'd seriously, unless, let him down, let him crawl. Is he going? Is he moving? Let him go. There's all kinds of people who love him. It's going to be fine. Don't step on the kid. I know without asking that all of you have suffered, and you will suffer again. I'm sure that I'll be giving you great comfort in speaking to you about the price of the cross, and then this, for your own sufferings. Never look at the cross without Christ. And you see, of course, that's part of our problem. When we suffer, we go, oh, poor me. Oh, this is so sad. Oh, I'm the only one. Oh, nobody loves me, right? That means you're engaging your suffering on your own. Never look at the cross without Jesus. If I must bear the cross alone, I renounce it in advance. I don't want to touch such a burden, not even with the end of my finger. I'm too weak, too cowardly, too sensitive. It's too hard to suffer. It is with you, Jesus, that I want to suffer. With you, I accept all crosses, all of them, 
if you'll bear them with me. I just want to ask you the last 20 months if you've said to yourself, oh, Jesus and I'll sort this thing out together. That probably wasn't the first thing we said. You can hide yourself. You can make it look as though you're not there. Now, this is for part of you. If you're in circumstances where you're suffering and you don't have allies, you maybe are the only Christian or you're alone. Here it is right here. You can make it look like I'm bearing it alone. I'll accept that on one condition. That you hide yourself in my heart. Isn't that great? So I'm just going to say, you know, I'm very disappointed because there's a movement in the Christian church and also among Lutherans to basically become Amish. And I don't I mean that in an objective way, not in a pejorative way. Basically, we're all going to move out together. We're going to build our own homes. We're going to have our own schools. We're going to teach our own kids. We're not going to not in one sense. You kind of go make some good sense. You'd love to have your kids marry other good kids and you want to give them every advantage you want to build them in a community the problem is with that is you also have this notion from jesus where he says in your going make disciples a part of simple as you wander through the world make disciples if you only ever meet your own folks the church is never going to be bigger than your own folks so you have this push and pull of we're meant to be leavened in the loaf jesus goes into the world he gets to tire and sidon right he goes into the decapolis he meets demoniacs, right? Sick people, Syrophoenicians, women who say, I just want the crumbs to fall from your tables. If you never are exposed to any of those people, how does the gospel go out into the world? Where's the mission impulse of the church? Even the Missouri Synod, we say all the time, we send out more missionaries. We aren't sending out more missionaries. We're telling people, you can go be a missionary if you raise your own money. That's not sending out a missionary. Okay. So, um, you know, we should just think about this. How can we be subjects of the king crowned with thorns, receiving communion every day at his sacrifice, yet run away from the cross? How can we say, my king wears a crown of thorns and run away from suffering? That would be to forget that the cross is a marvelous invention of divine mercy, which gives us the occasion to prove to Jesus that we love him. Love is a choice. So, you know, choose wisely. This isn't any different from the first thing I would say, which is, hey, you're in the middle of something and you all got a choice. You're going to choose differently than the person next to you. Be kind to them. They're bright people. They're thoughtful people. They have their own challenges. They're doing their best. You're just sort of tranquilo. And we're trying to do our best, too. And wouldn't it be interesting if we could sort of brush this beside us and be a light to the world? Just kind of think it through, okay? So it turns out that we never suffer alone. This is point three, unless we want to. And you all have been here a while. You know all this. I mean, the basic stuff of, you know, Luther's thing. Jesus cements himself to me in the Lord's Supper. Or Romans 6, the classic text. We always start with the catechumen with Romans 6, which is, if it happened to Jesus, it happened to you. The vigil. This story is your story. Right? Matthew 28. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You're never, ever alone. We lie when we say we are alone. We impugn Jesus' character. You're never alone. You never suffer alone. It's not reality. And you're safe and indestructible because Jesus is inside you, safe and indestructible. When you go to the Holy Supper today, the body of blood, the, Christ, the, the body of, blood uh, of Jesus is put inside you. When it's put inside you, you're indestructible. This is why in the ancient church that was known as the token of the resurrection or your ticket to heaven. When you get to heaven, 
What do you show them? You show them the host that's inside you. That's how you get in. It's like that Disney pass that lets you go to the front of the line. So, or maybe it's not, but I thought you might at least. So, um, you know, if we could remember that come what may, I'm in God's hands, that would be really good. Now, the question is, point four, you know, how does this happen? And, you know, in some sense, this, this whole Bible study and, frankly, having the church open is an experiment in how this could happen. How can this happen in a world where everybody hates every other person? In a world where the basic virtues no longer exist, frankly, in a world that is no longer Christian. And you, you really have to take that seriously. You should uh, disabuse yourself of the notion that in any sense America is a Christian nation. Right? In, in a nation where you're now uh, not just neutral, I mean, in the last, just in, you know, in 10 years, 15 years, people have gone from sort of lightened Christians and being interested to being kind of neutral to making Christians a target. Um, you know, how does that, how do we carry on, right? Now, just a little sidebar, point number five, we deserve a lot of it. I mean, every time I get an article about pastors or priests abusing children or parishioners, right? Every time I get something about, you know, the finances of church and money being stolen or used for illicit purposes, every time I get... You know, I look at myself. I think I told you one of the seminal, <clears throat> I was in a hospital. I was in a, making a call in Evanston Hospital with my collar on like this. I'm standing like this, elevator full of people, and the guy behind me goes, child molester, right? Now I get to ride six floors with that. You know, you kind of go, you know. Now, it, the story ended happily because as soon as I got off, there was this very nice, I didn't know who I was going to see. There was very, this very nice Hispanic woman who said, Father, Father, come this way. I'm like, people call me Father all the time because kind of I go in and the whole family is gathered and they're like, give him last rites. And I look down and I'm like, hey, this is not our guy. You were looking for the Catholic priest. You should try to back out of that situation. But that's a whole other story that will only be disclosed in pastoral care. So um, 101 at the seminary. Here's the thing. In a similar world, and this is what you have to remember, in the similar world, in the early church, and it wasn't that they didn't like the Christians. Christians were being skinned alive, you know, broiled, you know, dropped in oil. You know, the, remember the martyrs, the 40 martyrs who wouldn't confess. So they put them on in the ice, uh, the soldiers, they put them on the ice and they built fires and warm baths, what Romans did best, right? And they said, you know, if you only renounce Christ, you could come here um, and, and warm up. And the 40 of them froze to death on the ice, right? You remember, it wasn't like even like what we have. So don't, like, we shouldn't. It's a real thing, but it's not a real thing like it was. But even then, you just read Acts, you know, Acts 2.43. People look at them with a sense of awe. They have something I want. They do things I would never do. And 47, the Lord added to their number daily. And Acts 5, people from outside looked on them with high esteem. The point is you need to be virtuously different. People can do with that whatever they want. But you and I individually and you and I as a community need to be virtuously different. That's very separate from what people do with it. If I can tell you one thing, though, if we're not virtuously different, why would anybody walk across the threshold? They just go somewhere else. It's not a big deal. 
right? So um, how did that happen, right? And then the question is, how could that happen again? So I'm sort of at point number seven. I'm turning the page. Um, it has something to do with Christians being strange and beautiful and wonderful and there when people are in need. It has something to do with Christians actually being otherworldly. It has to do with thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It has to do with the actualization of the kingdom of God here on earth among us, right? And point eight, it's really awkward. So, you know, I mean, just going back to the COVID thing, it's going to be awkward for you all who, you know, I know that in the congregation there are some hardcore Republicans and then farther right, and I know there are hardcore Democrats and farther left, right? It's awkward for you to have dinner and talk politics. It's even more awkward for you to love each other if you actually find out what each of you believes, right? It's also a good thing. Because that's not the defining thing of your life. The defining thing of your life is you're all baptized into the same family. The defining thing of your life is you have the same body and blood. And the body and blood that Jesus puts in you, his body and blood, is more defining than the body and blood that you got from your parents. And the name you got when you were baptized is more defining than the name you got at the hospital. So you got to figure out how to be one body in Christ despite the awkwardness. And you know from Monday Thursday how difficult this was. So you remember they had this really up and down experience of, you know, they come in Palm Sunday and everybody loves Jesus. And then, you know, by Thursday, all the same people are saying crucify him. And in between, there are people plotting against him. And then they're sneaking around, but they're going to celebrate the Passover. It's going to be fabulous, but don't quite know what to do. And then they get there. Jesus got a heavy heart. Somebody's going to betray me. And then everybody's not I. And then this great weirdness where Jesus strips down and washes people's feet. Honest to God, before I leave here, we may try this once on Monday, Thursday. I don't think I could take it because I don't know what you would do. This would be weirder than COVID if we wash people's feet here. I mean, I think you're crazy now. If you came in and we had you all take your feet, your shoes off at the door, you'd be completely beside yourself. And I probably would too. We should probably do it then. Because, right, in that culture, you remember the thing where the guy, the journalist threw the shoe, wasn't it George Bush? Was it George Bush he threw the shoe at him, right? In the Middle East, you know, you never show people the bottom of your feet because that's to insult them, right? So when you cross your legs, you cross them in a different way. All cultures are different, but for Jesus, the most among the most humiliating things he can do is wash feet because feet are dirty and ritually unclean and that servants work, right? And this is supposed to be the Messiah. So he's supposed to rule the universe. And then Peter's like, don't touch me. And Jesus says, okay, Satan boy, nice try. And then they're all sort of broken by it. And then Jesus says to you, I mean, they finally do it. And then he says, okay, what happened? They're like, yeah, we got no idea. So they've been hanging around for three years. He's going to be dead in uh, 24 hours. And they still don't know what he's talking about. A little like me and you. Boy, you are hard. I, you know, in the old days, like in the old days, you would laugh about this. But now, I don't know. People were just not used to each other anymore, okay? And you just have to know, Johan, I do love every bit of that. 
And I just actually, thanks for not leaving because it's not, it's pointless, right? That's more important to say here. So Jesus says, you know, John 13, do you understand what I did? And then they're like, we have no idea. You called me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for I am. If I am your teacher and Lord, and I wash your feet, then you should wash each other's feet. And I wonder if you, you know, you just look around the room, and then the people are in the room, and you think to yourself, I'll put myself in their service. It's difficult for us, um, and it's difficult for you. But Jesus, I've given you an example, and a servant is not greater than his master. So I turn the page, verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So knowing stuff isn't enough. Not to know stuff. Everybody knows stuff. Doing, right? Knowing and doing. So it's time to be glorified. So we're going to figure out what glory is. And then I give you a new commandment, which must have just been crazy because they're thinking about shame and they're thinking about status and they're thinking about power and they're thinking about, you know, destruction of their enemies. And then what does Jesus say? Love one another just as I've loved you, right? And this is how people will know that you're my disciples. So we couldn't expect to survive as a church or as a church body um, or even a congregation if the primary thing isn't that we love people. This is not me, it's Jesus. Here it is. This is how people know that you're my disciples. And the converse is true. If you don't love each other, people will never know. Which is a great reason not to withdraw. Doesn't mean you need to compromise. It just means that, you know, pure withdrawal, that's going to be a hard thing to uh, justify. So, um, number nine, the only thing that stops us is us. Right? Second Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Got to be a new kind of person. And that's true for, that's true for all of you. And so, you remember we started last time by talking about how sin dulls our intellect, we can't think clearly, dulls our eyes, we can't see clearly, dulls our heart, we can't love properly, right? Dulls our will, we can't choose well. So we end up, um, you know, I can remember, um, a woman saying to me once, I married the wrong person three times, right? And she'd married three different husbands, and they were all the same person. And each time she thought there was, they weren't the same person, and I married the same person three times, you know, after a third divorce. This is not a lecture on divorce or anything else. This is just how sometimes we don't see very well. Sometimes we don't do very well. We have to be changed in how we see, what we love, what we choose, how we think. And that's only made possible by the Holy Spirit. Um, This is the reason why it's more dangerous not to come to church than it is not to wear a mask. Because if you've been to the Eucharist in 20 months, I'm just telling you, uh, you're not getting what's happening. You can listen to it on the radio, but there's no way we can shoot you the body and blood over the airways. At some point, it becomes a Gnostic thing where body is separated from spirit. Yes, of course, for emergencies, of course, for a period of time, of course, for troubles, of course, of course. But there is something about Jesus putting his real body and blood into us and then uniting us through his own body and blood, right? That's a risky, awkward undertaking, too. 
Now, you have to say all that without being judgy. So you shouldn't hear me like saying, you know, some people are horrible and some people are great. What I'm saying is, is that everybody needs to be there. How are we going to make that happen? And we need to be thoughtful about that. And part of the way that we're not thought about, thoughtful about it is when everybody runs around like their hair is on fire. Or is really disrespectful of other people. Or thinks they can, it's hard enough to choose for yourself. You're going to make all the choices for other people too? Yeah. Hmm. Right? You have four daddies. How are you going to make them all agree? In any case, um, this Bible study then is an invitation to start over. And in some sense, to rebuild a community that is otherworldly. And then just to remember, this is a point 10, this last thing. And Ron Forahan used to always say this to me when I used to moan to him. Um, he would kind of lean in over a cup of tea and say, Trust yourself to the one who judges justly. And I'd say something, he'd be, trust yourself to the one who judges justly. And of course, that's the image of Jesus, right? It's this little bit from First Peter here. But if, we do, if you do good and you suffer, that's a gracious thing in the sight of God. Then the very last page. You've been called to this and Christ suffered and he's left you an example that you follow in his steps. He was holy, glorious. He didn't commit any sin. He wasn't deceitful. Verse 22, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. If you just took, if you just took that line and applied it to first ourselves, then our congregation, then our community, then the nation, then the world, just think about how quiet the world would go. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Trust yourself to the one who judges justly. Do the right thing. Say your prayers. Read your scriptures. Go to the Eucharist. Live in humility. Love your neighbor as yourself. Turn the other cheek. Pray for your enemies. Trust yourself to the one who judges justly. That is not the world I live in. It is the church. It is the church I want to live in. It's the congregation I want to be part of. And when any of that is co-opted by something that is worldly, it really needs to be called out. But it needs to be done gently because everybody is so fragile right now. Okay, so that's the experiment of this Bible, Bible study. He himself bore our sins in his body that we might die to sin and live in righteousness by his wounds we've been healed. So, this is virtually impossible. But I'd kind of like to give it a try. So there you go. All the cards on the table. Um, I'll give you two minutes, and then we're going to try to keep the new schedule. Just a question about any of that stuff. Uh, just all I can tell you then is let's pray. But you should. Um, there's always one fact in somebody else's story that you don't know. Right, Oswald Chambers. There's always, there's always one fact in somebody else's story you don't know. You got no idea what they're struggling with, no idea what their health status is, no idea what, how their kids treat them, no idea what's happening at their job. There's always one fact in somebody else's story you don't know. Let's proceed as if we don't have all the facts and um, then proceed in love. Hey, don't make me come over there because I will. Yeah, I would, I would take a risk on taking them, but you know, nobody's let me hold a baby in two years, so who knows what will happen. All right. Uh, here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, thank you very much. See you soon.